welcome to the Anti-Architect Podcast. I am your host, Christian Giordano. As president and owner of the design firm Mancini Duffy, I am driven by a quest for learning and radically changing the industry. With this podcast, I'm hoping to improve the industry that I'm so passionate about by taking a critical look at how architects work through a variety of voices and shared experiences. Hello, Anti-Architect podcast listeners. I'm excited to have Julia Gamalina as my guest here on the Anti-Architect podcast. Julia is the founder and editor-in-chief of Madame Architect, an online magazine with a global audience aiming to shine a light on women working in the architecture industry and empower other women in the field. She founded the magazine when she was 27 years old in 2018. Julia has published over 200 interviews with women who have advanced in architecture. She publishes 10 stories each month centered around all types of women in the profession at all stages of their career. I first heard Julia on a panel discussion for She Builds Waves through my amazing partner and CFO, the one and only Bola Williams Ali, who is also featured on Madame Architect. Julia is also the Director of Strategy at Trahan Architects, founded in 1992 in New Orleans, and they have offices here in New York and Atlanta as well. They do beautiful work around the globe. She is also the co-founding member of Brick and Wonder, a member of the Female Founder Collective, and Communications Co-Chair of ULI, New York's Young Leaders Group. On June 22nd of this year, 2021, Julia launched Mr. Architect to shine a light on the importance of men in the conversation of transforming the industry. She launched it with nine interviews with men, and she plans to continue expanding. Julia, I'm sure I missed something in the uh, intro here because you do so much, Um, but thank you for taking the time to be here. You got it all, and thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's uh, uh, a lot there. So... um, I love this quote that I found from you because it's in the spirit of what my wife and I say to our two daughters, and that is, uh, no woman wants to be known as a, as a woman in architecture. They just want to be known as architect. Um, and to me that speaks a lot, you know, that's, that's sort of what we tell our daughters all the time that girls can do anything boys can do and better. Um, I truly believe that. Um, and so before you started Madame Architect, um, who were the women architects that you admired? Oh, man, there were so many and um, and still remain so many. But very early on in college at Cornell, I had two professors that kind of, you know, started, planted the seeds for the whole thing. One of them is Caroline O'Donnell. Um, she worked for Eisenman for a number of years. She's now a professor at Cornell, has her own practice. Um, but she, you know, let's see, how, how should I describe Caroline? Um, <laughs> just the way she approached architecture, uh, was so new and interesting and smart, a lot of new ideas and a lot of new takes. And I think she just kind of showed that you don't have to, just because you come from a certain background or just because you have a certain identity doesn't mean that going forward, you can't set a certain precedent or um, put ideas into the world. So Caroline was huge. And then also this woman, Nina Friedman, um, she was the director, she was the professor for professional practice and um, the internship kind of class we had at Cornell's New York program, New York City program. And she at the time was at Shigeru Bon, was kind of Shigeru's secret wing, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, paved some of the same things for us, but um, was also a single mother uh, and talked a lot about how she would integrate that identity into everything she did in architecture. Um, and I think that was a huge precedent for me. Wow. And so since starting the magazine, has has that changed over the years in terms of the other you know, female architects that you that you admire? 
yeah, I think with any career stage or any place um, that I've been in, my I've always had mentors, but the mentors have changed throughout time. And they're, they're all still my mentors in a way and friends um, and people I look up to. But I think you need to be mentored in different ways and, you know, based on different things, um, just depending on where you are. So early on in my career, my mentors were those kind of uh, in professional practice, leading firms, and I wanted to know how they got there. Nowadays, it's a little bit different. You know, I, I look up to a lot of women that are running media companies for obvious sure. reasons. Um, a lot of people that, you know, use their architectural training and time in the industry to then go on and do something else. And, you know, in tech or I talk a lot about Kim Holden, who's now a postpartum and, um, and, and birth doula. So, uh, you know, people like this. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So um, I did a little bit of research. So according to the uh, NCARB website, uh, women make up about 17% of licensed architects uh, in the United States. Um, I would argue that's a little bit of a misleading statistic because there's interior designers, there's the marketing graphics people, there's sure. you know accounting like we have here. Um, so, um, but I don't get a sense from your interviews, and I've honestly I've read most of them over the last few weeks. Um, that you started this really to, to get more women into the profession. Um, what was your vision for Madame Architect um, and how has it evolved? Yeah, at the beginning, I think it was just that, you know, I kept hearing this refrain of where are all the women architects and I kept thinking like they're everywhere. <laughs> I, I mean, granted, there have always in my experiences, any firm I've worked for, you know, classes I've taken, there have been less than than men. Um, but I've always encountered women, you know, my some of my favorite professors have been women. Um, and so that was really one thing. It was like, you know, they, they are here. There are amazing women to look up to, amazing professionals to look up to. And let's shed a light on that. But the other thing, too, the driving motivation um, was just, you know, we were really sold one version of an architect in school. Um, this kind of sole genius designer wearing all black with the glasses. I mean, I don't think I need to paint a picture for our listeners because they're, <laughs> they're all familiar with it. But, you know, as a young woman studying architecture, that was never something I related to um, for a multitude of reasons. And, and the other thing, too, is I always held a lot of other identities in addition to what I wanted to do in architecture. I mean, I've been a, a runner for a long time. Um, health is a huge thing for me because in architecture school, I was also pretty sick. And so I just knew that like the lifestyle of an architect and again, the, the picture that we were painted for everything to do with how your life turns out if you are in this profession, just I knew wouldn't work for me. And mm. so what really catalyzed Madam Architect, I think, is trying to find my way and trying to find an alternate way. Um, and what I found is that there are like thousands of alternate ways. And that's been super, super um, inspiring and eye opening. Yeah, that's amazing. So how did you actually start the site? Is it you registered the .org and you just started Started writing? Um, not really, <laughs> not quite. There's, there was a long lead up. To be honest, you could say I start. I mean, the seeds for it were planted like early on in my school days when I was just going to my teachers, who I saw as mother figures, to guide me in, in the academic and professional realms. Um, but once I graduated from architecture school, was new to New York City, um, didn't really have a lot of, you know, my mentors were my professors, and I wasn't working for large firms. So that built-in system of mentorship that can exist, you know, at um, a place that has a structured mentorship program, I wasn't finding that. So I just started um, getting out and about in the city and connecting with other women. I found this nonprofit architects uh, started by Nina Friedman, a professor I had referenced. Mm -hmm. And that was really to bridge the academy and practice for women uh, in, you know, for uh, for the field, but also for women to support one another. Um, started going to a lot of those meetups, met some incredible mentors, started having conversations with them and thought, you know, I am benefiting so much from this and I would love to share it. That being said, I was also actively looking to integrate writing into my career because that is another identity I held all mm -hmm. along, again, my schooling and even through architecture school, but just didn't see how I could um, integrate it into professional practice. And so, you know, Architects, this nonprofit that I mentioned had a blog and I pitched to the editor in chief at the time, Sarah Rafson, you know, what if I interview my mentors for this blog? She said, amazing, go ahead. And mm -hmm. that's how it all started. So I did, you know, some interviews kind of randomly randomly 
every few months. And then we decided to do a series um, where I could curate a group of women. And once that series was going, once it was launched, I just saw the incredible response that it had and how many people were excited about it and also how much I personally loved everything about the process. So that when the series was coming to an end, I thought, oh my gosh, there's so much momentum. This really has critical mass. I can't possibly stop this. And that's when I registered the domain and, yeah. and launched madamarchitect.org. Yep. That's great. That's great. And it's, do you monetize the site at all or is it? No, I do not. Okay. Uh, uh, we did, we had an anniversary event that we did charge tickets for and those all went to, you know, the typical upkeep for Madam Architect for, you know, Squarespace domain and et cetera. <laughs> we had never had funding for that before. But other, other than that, we do not yet, but I do have plans to. Do you have a sense of, you know, your readership and how, and how big and important it's become? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm obsessed with <laughs> our readership and who who they are and who's visiting our site and from where. We have readership in over 100 countries, wow. which was amazing to see. You know, places like we, I had an Instagram live recently to talk about our new launch um, with interviews with men that we're calling Expanding the Conversation now. And uh, we had people join in from Libya and Morocco and Brazil. So that was amazing. Um, our readership is primarily millennial women. And I think, and I think just women in the profession that are getting going and still relatively early on and just seeing what their options are. Um, but at the same time, we have a ton of students. We have a ton of new moms. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been amazing to watch it grow. <laughs> it's, it is amazing. Con congratulations on that. So if you had to pick one thing that um, frustrates you about other architects or even the profession, <laughs> what, what would that be? Oh, man, frustrates me about other architects. I mean, I'm one of them. So I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people could say the same about me. I think architects, I mean, it's a double edged sword in that or, you know, there's pros and cons to everything. I mean, no matter what you do and, and who you are, there's there's just consequences of that. But architects obviously are generalists, so they know a little bit about everything. And I think architects are very curious people. And so they want to know how a firm runs and how what marketing does, you know business development, et cetera. Um, but I think because architects are trained to know a little bit about everything, then when you really need expertise in something, it can be hard for architects to let go of um, not being the expert, maybe. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and that's fine and completely understandable. But I think, yeah, there's there is that idea of the generalist um, and the consequences that that identity has. I like that answer. That's original to uh, to the you know, I've asked that question a lot. So what have that, you heard? That's a good one. Uh -huh. Well, a lot of it is, you know, uh, they, they um, I think most of it uh, in previous guests have surrounded about they, they don't know cost. Mm. Uh, they don't know how much how much anything costs, mm -hmm. which also is very which is true. also very true. Yes. <laughs> but you know, hey, those, those are details we mm -hmm. worry about. So our audience would love to get to know you a little bit better. Can you tell us a little bit about growing up in your childhood? Happy to. Yeah. So I grew up, my childhood was spent in Russia, actually, in, in Siberia, in a city called Novosibirsk, which is very cosmopolitan. It's not far away in Siberia, you know, up in the northeast. It's very central and actually very southern Russia, but um, it's called Novosibirsk. And uh, it was a very cosmopolitan upbringing. I mean, I took the subway, the public, you know, the public realm in that city is really amazing. Um, we had a really tight-knit family. And the thing that was really specific to my childhood in Russia, too, was we had a dacha, which I don't know if you're familiar with what a dacha is it's a summer garden house and you know so many russians have this but it's essentially again a summer house but it's on a big plot of land and everyone has this plot of land almost everyone and has a garden around the house okay. um, so you just see these houses in the middle of all these gardens and it's really amazing so you know my winters were spent in the city uh very cold lots of snow yes <laughs> and then my summers were spent in this very idyllic uh kind of garden landscape which was really amazing but yeah, growing up in Russia was amazing. I, I also had a really dense childhood and that my parents just put me up for anything and everything. So, you know, in addition to school and I went to school in Russia up until through first grade. Um, but in addition, I went to like an after school school that was focused on performing arts. So I okay. did dance and singing and um, some acting and uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a very, very dense existence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I can I can relate to that. My wife has my two daughters in pretty much everything mm -hmm. that exists. Mm -hmm. um, there's no, <laughs> there's no time. Every schedule, every every minute is packed. But it does create sort of a richer experience, and you get exposed to to, to everything along the way. So, so what? Um, when did you emigrate? Well, you didn't come to the United States. You went to Canada first, correct? Mm -hmm. Correct. What What was the why? Did, why did that happen? I think my parents 
they always wanted to move to the States. It was a lot easier to get to the States uh, as a Canadian, I think, uh, okay. at first. And then they, yeah, my mom, I think, got it got planted in her mind early on. I think she told me she had a boyfriend that like immigrated to Hungary or something like that. And so she always had this idea of, wow, you can leave and go do something else and maybe go on to something better. Um, and so I think she just always wanted to to see the world and live somewhere else. Um, and I think, you know, in Russia, it's it's not necessarily meritocracy. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it can be very hard to make your way there. And, uh, you know, we didn't come from a family that was very well positioned for certain things. And so I think, you know, that wanting to leave just for themselves and also coupled with wanting to give their children a better future was kind of the incentive for them. At least that's what they've told me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and so you, you all moved to Canada. Mm -hmm. Yep. Where in Canada? In Toronto. In Toronto. Okay. And how long were you there for? I was there for six years. So grade four, I skipped a bunch of grades, grade four through freshman year of, of high school. And then okay. uh, midway through freshman year of high school, a wonderful time to move. <laughs> we moved to Colorado, Colorado Springs. Okay. Oh, Colorado Springs is great. It is great. Yeah. <laughs> and and so you, you end up finishing up high school in Colorado. Mm -hmm. How was that? in terms of uh, moving in the middle of high school? Yeah, that part wasn't too bad. Um, I had, you know, just having moved around and I had kind of learned how to make friends and how to make my way in new contexts. So that was okay. Um, what shocked us at first was, you know, again, in Russia, we grew up in a very cosmopolitan environment in Canada as well, in Toronto. Colorado Springs is not a metropolis. It is uh, it is very, you know, car centric. You know, when I remember the first day we arrived, my brother was, um, I think, right around two years old at the time, maybe a little younger. And my mom and I wanted to take him out for a walk in the stroller. So we went out of our apartment complex and we're walking and all these cars were passing by us, looking at us like, what are these guys doing? <laughs> and eventually the sidewalk ended and we learned that really you couldn't just you get walk. out and walk. You don't do that. Um, so that was a huge, you know, that was a huge shock for us. But we got used to it. And it's in Colorado that I learned, you know, that I um, became or it's in Colorado that I started running. I joined the cross country team, you know, was, did things like whitewater rafting. And so it was a really good uh, experience in that way, kind of the outdoors aspect. And do you still run today? I do run. I love it. Okay. Yeah. And you live in in New York City. I live on the Upper East Side, mm -hmm. okay. so Central Park. The so proximity is, is yeah, amazing. That's a yeah. great run. What is it about running that you? you love and as a writer i'm curious oh. if there's a connection there yeah maybe i mean huge huge runners high i do get that um i grew up as a dancer and i did ballroom dance for a long time very typical thing for i think <laughs> a young russian girl to do um and running kind of gets me in that same mentality. I think it's very rhythmic and very fast paced. And for me, just especially nowadays with Trahan, with my work at Trahan and with Madam Architect, it's a huge brain break. Yeah. Um, and a nice, you know, way to kind of get myself moving because if I didn't do that, I would just be in front of a screen all day, every day. Yep. Um, but I do, I do really love it. I find the same thing. So I do a lot of running as well. And oh, I've yeah? actually recently started taking a small little digital tape recorder with me, like a little, it's not called tape recorder. Just oh. A recorder. Wow. Uh -huh. There's no tape in it, obviously. Um, and I find the same thing. I, I find I have a lot of really good ideas as I'm running, but I always forget them by the time mm -hmm. I'm back or most of the time. Um, but I do find it very therapeutic as well, right? It's a good, it's the only break for me from work, right? yeah. aside from like family and kid things, just to kind of get away for an hour to exactly. do that. That is, it's, it, yeah. you can really clear your mind or free your mind in yeah, a sense. Yeah, that's exactly it. And what I've been doing, you know, on the days when, you know, I, I work a full day at Trahan and then I go home and do Madam Architect things, I, I've started to commute commute by running so i'll oh. run from the office up the west side you know up the hudson <laughs> yeah, river great. through the west side through the park and then um back home so that's it's, it is a really nice break so take us through your education at cornell um is that ultimately what also brings you to new york i think it is i always wanted to be in new york um so i think that was a good you know path there also it was a great architecture program so that's why i had sort of my eyes set on it when i was in high school but yep i did the five-year b arc um super rigorous you know i i was always very well-rounded in high school i don't think i had a favorite class i i just i liked the variety of everything and using different parts of my brain i mean yes i loved the art and the math and those were kind of my um my my higher level electives in the ib program that i did but uh, i at the same time i loved history and writing I spent a ton of time doing essays, which I now realize really planted the seeds for a lot of other <laughs> things. Um, but 
yeah, I found that in architecture school, I don't think this is specific to Cornell. I think this is just the nature of, you know, a concentrated architecture program. I felt really boxed in, surprisingly, because architecture is this whole brain field and you are learning a lot of things. But um, I really had to put some of some parts of me aside during the program. And I'll never forget this one moment. So I joined the running club at Cornell and it started at 430 PM, uh, this, you know, this, this casual running group and studio ran until 420. So my freshman year at 420 on the dot, I would run out, change to my running clothes, try to go to this running group and, you know, go for my run and then go to dinner and then go back to studio. And you wouldn't believe the looks that I got running out of studio right at 420 on the dot. And so that fell away very quickly. And I, I stopped running with the group. I ran recreationally on my own, but I just remember thinking like to the professors too, just, you know, this is a kid who's going out to do something good for herself, for her mind, for probably the work she would produce. And you're not encouraging that. And that was always really, really strange to me. Yeah. And that translates directly into our profession, right? I mean, those that, you know, leave on time, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're always looked at as, and, and that was me. I, I, I always try to make a separation between uh, work and, and, and play, let's call it for me all too. intents and purposes. Um, and I remember there was a firm I worked at where you actually had to write in the time that you got in and write in the time that you left. I had that too. And, and when I started noticing is like, all right, if I left at 630, I'd have, a, there'd be like 20 other people in front of me that would write down that they left at like 930 at night, you know, <gasps> I'm like yeah, everybody's lying here. This is wow. all like, what yeah. kind of culture are you trying to create oh, with this, you know, yeah. bizarre. Uh, but so so going back to the studio system, and I, I find it fascinating your your talk about Stark attacks, right? And mm-hmm. how you didn't fit in that image. And I, I as I as you were talking about that, I think about it a lot, right? There the education system does in fact kind of set you up to want to be a stark attacked. That's kind of all you talk about. That's what you study. You study the great masters and all this stuff, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I'm not saying that it's not important or, or valid, and it, it certainly is, but what is it? 99.99% don't become stark attacks, mm-hmm. right? They end up going and they work in either as your sole practitioners or in corporate firms. And it's a, you're almost setting yourself up or setting setting those up for for disappointment mm-hmm. ultimately in the run so what what are some thoughts that you have and especially in context of women in architecture you know of how we could change that education system mm-hmm. yeah well that's exactly why madam architect started i think our way to change it is to show other examples and other paths other possibilities um you know there are so many options out there and that work for different people and um Right. The, the, the people that we studied that became architects, I mean, they had so many things in common. I mean, I think wealth is a huge part of it and how many people, you know, have access to that. Um, I certainly didn't. And I just right. I, I just always knew for myself that there were certain things, you, you know, never say never. I, I also really don't believe in the thinking right. of like, I'll never have that because that also sets you up for, um, you know, for for something that maybe you didn't need to set yourself up for. But um, I just think, right, considering all the different backgrounds people have and, and um, the different foundations and then all the possibilities that are available to them, there just needed to be a lot more uh, right, cross-referencing, if you will. Yeah, and, and you touched on it. It's, it's, and I don't know what the statistics are for Starkitex, star let's, let's say, but there is they kind of start on third base, right? They have either family money or for whatever reason mm-hmm. they have money and listen, good for them. Um, but it's a lot easier to be selective or do competitions or, you know, be in a certain social network mm-hmm. when you're, when you don't have to worry about your next paycheck mm-hmm. um, and you can take experiments architecturally and you don't have to comply and work as part of a firm. So I totally agree. And it's something that to me has to change just the overall perception of it. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and I agree your, your, your magazine is certainly doing that mm-hmm. for sure. You must have had a passion for writing early on. Mm-hmm. Um, how did, how did that come to be? 
Oh, gosh. You know, I talk about drawing a lot because it's such a natural parallel to her natural kind of lead up to, to studying architecture. But the writing, I, I wrote a lot as a kid and it was always both. It was always the image and the word. Um, and just as much as I drew, I would like write short stories. I would write like, you know, children's books. I think for my parents first Christmas gift in Canada, I wrote a story like a short novel about a family immigrating. And uh, so that was always part of a part of me. And I journaled a lot. And I journaled okay. a lot also uh, when I first got to the city and was kind of trying to find my place in, in the industry and in the city and, you know, who I wanted to be and all of that. So it was just a huge way for me to think through things and, you know, express myself, um, but really to think through things. So I definitely knew I wanted to keep doing more of it and, and make it a part of my professional identity, too. And, and so what was your first job out of school? I worked for Studio V Architects okay. um, uh, here in New York on Park Avenue, and that was for about two years. And then I had worked for a number of different offices in, in different capacities. Okay, and how how was that experience in the in the various offices? Yeah, it's very varied, <laughs> very varied in various offices. Uh, you know, I feel like I've really seen a lot of different things. I mean, I've worked for an intern for firms as small as two, you know, five people. Um, my the biggest firm I've worked for was FX Collaborative, which is you know over a hundred. Um, yeah, different experiences. I think the thing that shapes your experience the most is who you're directly working with and reporting to, um, you know, your your manager and also your team. And I've, I've had experiences that run the gamut. I've had amazing male and female managers and people I've reported to. I've had not some not so great ones. Uh, and I think you just learn. Um, Right, that 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 relationship is really really important, and it's it's hard to plan for because you don't know who you're going to get. But that's why I recommend that when someone is interviewing at a firm, to try and get some FaceTime with the person you'll actually be working with. Yeah. And of course, that's different because you might be floating around on projects, or they might not even yet know. Uh, but as much as you can, I would recommend that. Yeah, and so it's funny here at, at our firm. You know, I used to want to be in every interview. Mm -hmm. And I think for that, first of all, that wasn't fair to the, the others, you know, doing the actual working with with everyone. And, and why should I have, you know, <laughs> be the one to say, yes, hire this person or not. And um, once we started doing that, we actually ended up with, to me, a more cohesive staff, mm -hmm. right, that that. And it is exactly that. It's those that are going to be working directly with their team. And we kind of broke teams down into smaller pieces. And it certainly is much more. Uh, so so um, at Trahan Architects, what is your what's your role there? Sure. So my role is, is director of strategy, uh, which means different things for, for different firms. I think someone that is has a strategy role at a firm, really their role is to do what needs to be done to take the firm to where it wants to be, which is super vague, I know. Um, <laughs> but what it means in the case of Trahan is when I first joined um, late in 2019, Trahan Architects was a really established regional firm in the South, in, in okay. Louisiana. Had, we were working, you know, in, in Georgia, in Texas, um, in the Southeast. And when Trey and I first met, he didn't, there wasn't a role to fill. There wasn't a director of strategy that he wanted to find. He just said to me, you know, this is where I'd like to take the firm. I would really love the firm to be nationally, you know, working nationally, um, internationally, you know, to to make sure we're able to connect with these folks, partner with these companies, and and how do I do that? And I said, well, that is really a strategy operation. That's a strat strategic problem, not a problem, but you know, something to solve um, and to think about. And so that's where the title came came from. And the reason I was able to kind of help trade in this particular regard is because I had you know collected a number of experiences within offices that were in these different departments. So design, I were you know focused on project design for the first half of my career so far and then did a number of things in communications and PR and business development and marketing and some of the RFP pursuits um and that all combined along with getting Madam Architects started and building that entity and kind of building momentum and hype around it I think all of that mixed together you know positioned me well for for this um for the strategic initiative that Trahan was looking to do. So is it also business development you're you're essentially looking for clients as well? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So when you do, you do you say to them ahead of time, like, oh, by the way, I have this, uh, I have this global reach uh, with this online magazine that I've started, and and what was their reaction? Trey knew. Uh, <laughs> Trey already knew about Madam Architect. I think that was a big part of the appeal, and not. 
the global reach aspect, but just having built something like that, there's obviously lessons learned from that. Um, yeah. And and Trey just really saw that. I mean, he we are both founders, right? We're both entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. and so we've been really um, we've been able to connect on that. And he just really gets it. I don't think everyone gets it. Uh, I have to say, but he <laughs> did and still does. Uh, so it's been a great partnership in that, that way. That that's great that he gets it, and and I agree. I mean, I, and I think you know this from from our firm here at Mancini Duffy. We, you know. I love when people have some sort of outside passion Mm -hmm. and we look for that. I mean, that is because to me, if you can make time for your your outside passion, you're certainly going to make time for your let's call it your day job. Mm -hmm. Right. And 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 they both ultimately equal each other out. Mm -hmm. And it just shows, you know, above and beyond any other initiative. So I'm always saying to people here, you know, what do you want to do? What else can we do? You know, and that's how we've started all these other aspects of Mm -hmm. our of our company, some that almost have nothing to do with what we do right mm-hmm. it's and 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 we have so many cool ideas of, of right things out there right well trey talks about it in terms of self-motivation mm-hmm. um and that was a big thing for him because nobody asked me to do madam architect you know this wasn't <laughs> an assignment i was given there's no pats on the back i mean there there are very nice things people say about it and it's extremely rewarding in terms of the response it gets but ultimately um it was very self-driven and um and i think that was appealing for him yeah very cool so i think uh this next question is important for uh uh, for men in our profession to hear, um, you know, have you faced any challenges because of your gender in terms of your career growth? I'm sure I have. Uh, to be completely honest, any challenges I've faced in that in that category have been to do with age, okay. um, and I, and it's probably a combination of both gender and age. But um, but things that have been said to me or any sort of challenges or lack of progress that I felt, I think, have been with, um, you know, paying dues or not enough tenure or <laughs> things like this. Um, yeah, I, I I hope Madam Architect is a good example that age should not be a barrier to, you know, make impact or to have great ideas. Um, but yeah, I, I think the biggest challenges have been both a combination of gender and age so far. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I, I agree. Just because <laughs> you're young doesn't mean you can't do uh, do the job of a someone with you know 30 years of experience so mm-hmm. and listen this is a profession where the more experience you get the better you become at it mm-hmm. but it still doesn't negate you from being able to step up to the plate early on for sure and i think also we think about in terms of like professional experience like for an architect it's the making of buildings you know but we sometimes put aside or maybe make less secondary life experience right like what kind of experience can someone offer that's moved around and has gotten to know people all over the world or or that really enjoys writing and i'm I'm not just talking about myself but in general like anything that's a unique combination of uh, elements or skills that a person has should all be kind of propelled forward I think in the way that would be best for a company um, and that doesn't always have to do with experience so that being said experience is super crucial you, you just need both I, yeah. I really believe that you need both yeah but diverse experience is good I mean we have people here on staff that have worked uh, you know at a millworking company or have exactly. worked uh, at, for a furniture company mm-hmm. uh, and they bring that experience and that you know sort of expertise along the way and I think it helps grow the firm in general so for sure so what interviews on on Madam Architect um, do you think are the most impactful for men to listen to? Oh, I love that question. Thank you for asking. <laughs> for men to listen to, definitely Kim Holdens, who... Um, was one of the founding partners of shop is still one you know one of the founders of shop um has now moved on to be uh, a doula like i mentioned Uh and she talks about it you know she put it very well she says these are not women's issues these are society's society's issues these issues are about family at about you know about community and that involves both men and women so i highly recommend for everyone to read that i think farshid musavi's interview is really amazing you know she was working um with her partner and um in both work and life and then the split and you know so many people People, men and women go through various partnership splits in business and in life. And that is, you know, something that's very universal. I'm finding that all the main themes that come out of these interviews are universal. They're not mm-hmm. specific to gender. They shouldn't be specific to just women. And that is exactly why we started our new series, our Expanding the Conversation series, because everyone needs to be having these conversations. You know, we're all in it together and for each other and supporting each other. And I think that's been really wonderful for the platform. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and what what is the Next Gen series that's also on your site? Yes, it's about students and recent graduates. And we started that in the pandemic, actually, because we just saw the anxiety that so many students were having, you know, graduating into this really um, 
kind of unprecedented situation. And um, we wanted to find a way to celebrate these students and let them know that they are crucial to the industry and, um, you know, fresh thinking and everything, everything that they're learning now, too, will set the stage for what the profession will be, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. So you certainly can't discount you know, the, what they're thinking and Mm -hmm. their ideas for the industry. And so that's been, that's a huge, huge column for us and very successful. And yeah, Yeah, it's interesting. And I was looking through it. First of all, everybody looks so young. I mean, (laughs) I thought for, I thought they were like my daughter's age in Uh middle school. Some, uh, some of those, uh, yeah, some are freshmen in in college and architecture school. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And, and just thinking, I mean, maybe it's something you can even go even younger. I'm curious as to, you know, where my, my daughter wants to be an architect. Right. And so what does that really mean? And what are her, I always find it fascinating. Even she knows what I do, mm-hmm. but I always find it fascinating to hear what she thinks, you know, mm-hmm. the profession is mm-hmm. about, which mm-hmm. is, uh, which is always yeah. exciting. So, um, so do you have help with the site as well? Cause how, how do you accomplish your day job mm-hmm. and your, uh-huh. you know, your, your night <laughs> job and everything else? Yeah. It's always, it's always <laughs> evolving. It's always a work in progress. Uh, I do have help a hundred percent. And, um, so for the, I would say for the first year and a half, maybe I was doing it on my own and that was just extremely unsustainable. I mean, it was early mornings and late nights and, um, and a lot, but I also didn't feel like I could ask for help for a long time because we don't monetize, you know, we're all on a volunteer basis. And so what I did at the beginning, actually what I still do is it's everyone who writes to me that says, you know, I'd really like to contribute, put me to work. Um, and so the first person that did that was uh, this amazing architect, Amy Stone. She's based in Atlanta, Georgia, and she saw me speak at uh, a conference for women in design at, at Harvard. Um, and Georgia Tech's uh, equity and architecture group came up. A lot of other student groups came up. I presented on Madam Architect. That was actually the first time I presented on it. And, you know, six months later, I just get an email from Amy that says, hey, you know, love what you're about. Love Madam Architect. Saw you speak. Like, want to work together. Like, put me to work. So that, she she was our first. Um, and then there have been a series of, you know, uh, editors. We now have, you know, two senior editors, Amy and Gail Kutak who's at Silman. Um, we have editorial assistants who help with transcripts. And then we have columnists that add, you know, different perspectives to our site. So we have a historical columnist that does her own pieces, a columnist on City Life, Nina Cook-John. We have a critic. Um, so wow. it's expanded in that way. But for the interviews itself, you know, Amy and Gail are now doing their own interviews. They started transcribing the interviews that I was doing just to really get just to really absorb the tone that I wanted to bring to this endeavor. I think that's really crucial for you, not only to hear the questions we're asking, but also just like the motivation and the energy behind those questions. Um, And once they had a few of those under their belt, they're now out there doing their own interviews. And I just love the idea of, you know, women interviewing women, architects interviewing architects and um, yeah, just keeping that cycle going. And it's, and it's voluntary. It's all voluntary. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I have to, you know, I always make sure that they know that and they're okay with that. But, you know, it's what I do. And (laughs) it's a passion project. It's a passion project. But the goal, you know, eventually the goal is to monetize partially. You know, I always stayed away from or I for a long time, I was really hesitant to, to monetize it because I thought that if I did my decisions for the editorial for the heart of the piece would be influenced by something other than sure. the content. But what I've realized actually is when you monetize, you can do so much more. You right. have the resources <laughs> to do even more. Um, and I also do really want to make sure that I am rewarding, you know, everyone that has helped with Madam Architect. And so there's a big driver to monetize for that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what, what are the future plans? To, they're being explored now. I'm trying to do as much research as I can. I'm talking to a lot of people. I'm looking at some continuing education, perhaps. Uh, so stay tuned. I, I, I just really don't even know myself yet what the okay. best uh, what venue forward will Is be. Is this something at some point you see ever becoming a full-time job for you? I don't know. I love having both right now because I think it's really crucial for me to stay engaged in professional practice and stay in the trenches in a way and you know be putting my money where my mouth is and in some ways I I don't feel good about the fact that you know I would be um, this figure that's saying this is what I want the profession to look like and these (laughs) are the women to look up to and yet I'm not kind of contributing myself and setting the example so for now I really like having both. (laughs) Um, So in your opinion uh, what do architects do well and what do they do wrong? 
what do they do well? I think this is the same theme of the gen the generalist idea. I think architects are very curious, very omnivorous in that way. And um, I think what they do well is making sure they, they have an understanding, at least, of all the different components of something, whether it be a project or a business or their, you know, their client's organization. Um, what they do wrong, gosh, yeah, a lot of architects have a hard time letting go, I think, of, of some of these areas. And I think um, delegation and collaboration are, are to continue to be celebrated and <laughs> I also think you know architects um, a lot of marketing support in firms can sometimes seem as secondary and it's absolutely not I mean the marketing department the business development department really sets the tone for the future of the firm and the truth is you know an architecture office is, is an ecosystem and yeah. everyone you know you need you all need each other you need someone to be doing amazing work you need someone to be finding amazing projects you need someone that's telling a really compelling story about them and the health of all of those different aspects uh, depends on the others so that's maybe something I, I think architects <laughs> could do a better job at is you know trust the experts trust yeah. the people with MBAs and with you know degrees in writing and let them do their thing uh, and just all work together you've worked at you know a number of firms do you think that the actual business model for architects needs to change a hundred percent I think <laughs> the <laughs> you know the hours and the the pay and the fees um, definitely needs to change. I just think that the forces that influence that are so far beyond architects uh, yeah. and the profession. I mean, you're talking about not even not only the developers, but also, you know, the financing of projects from the developer standpoint. And that's just a really huge ecosystem. And uh, I think I'm just now, you know, touching the tip of the iceberg on <laughs> what it all comes down to. Um, but yes, it's big. It's a big. It's yeah, the big fee, thing. the fees are. Listen, you're always it's it's it is kind of a race to the bottom as far as fees go. Yep. Some developers, some clients, they get they get it. They understand that if we pay a little bit more for this, I'm going to get X more, and therefore I'll save money in the long run. Mm -hmm. But most don't, and most will look and and find someone ultimately that'll do it for cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's a it's a tough model, and we, we have ideas here about how to change that mm -hmm. subscription services, things like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's ways of having sort of recurring revenue mm -hmm. that ultimately give you the freedom mm -hmm. down the road to do mm -hmm. things. But it's a tough model. It really it really really is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think you see other kind of companies that always think they can do in-house architecture mm -hmm. and it all just falls apart for them. Mm -hmm. Like a work, you know, you bring in an architect and, you know, they, they think they can do it and yeah. they can. It's a special skill we have. It's a to, very to specialized. Yeah, 100%. It's <laughs> oh, funny. So the, this <laughs> next question, um, I hesitate to ask it because I don't want it to come across as like the man, you know, Please. giving the the woman, you know, permission kind of thing. But, you know, what can men do to support or champion women in mm. architecture? Not that you need us. Sure. No, <laughs> but everyone needs everyone. It's the same idea of, you know, the ecosystem of a firm of everyone working together and having, you know, different focuses. And I think it's the same in terms of gender, too. But um Better to support. So I did an interview with Google's Ryan Trinidad for the Expanding the Conversation series, and he put it very, very well. I think giving credit where credit is due is very important. You know, if someone has a great idea, someone does something well, just to make sure to acknowledge that and to celebrate it and take a moment to highlight it is huge for everyone at the firm, you know, men, man, woman, um, uh, other gender, and also uh, in terms of age. Um, and I think using language, making sure not to use gendered language. So Ryan gave a really great example of, you know, at Google, they were talking about something and instead of saying something they needed to get done and instead of saying, oh, we should, you know, find a guy to do this. It's like, well, what makes you think that the expert in getting this done would be a male? Maybe it's a woman. Um, and so instead of saying like, bye, guys. Hey, guys. All right, guys, let's <laughs> do this. You know, hi, everyone. Hey, y'all. <laughs> What's everyone up to? And I'm going to take that advice because I use mm -hmm. hi, guys all the time. I do, too. too. <laughs> I need to watch myself, too. It's uh, men and women all do. Um, but I, but but the other thing I think is giving the credit. Um and, and making sure everyone has a chance to speak, you know, so often in meetings, I still see this, I see people bulldoze through uh, other people trying to chime in. And I think being really attentive and saying, hey, you seem like you had a thought there, like, what would you like right. to share? Um, it's tough. And it takes real behavioral practice, like you just have to repeat these behaviors over and over. It's, you know, it's not going to happen just because you, th you thought of it, or you know, it's something you should do. Um, but just being conscious and holding yourself accountable is key. Yeah. Uh, from a diversity perspective, uh, what does the future of architecture, of the architecture profession look like to you? 
Oh, man, from a diversity perspective, I'm seeing so many amazing collaboratives come together um, that are being very intentional about not even diversity in terms of race or, or, or gender, but um, expertise, you know, origin, background, age. Um, and I think some of these collectives that we're seeing are going to be really um are going to be really fruitful for the profession, really productive, like, you know, design advocates is, is um, a collective that started during the pandemic that I think is really successful in setting the tone for what that could look like. Um, and yeah, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more collaborative models of interdisciplinary um, interdisciplinary designers and, and professionals. Sure, sure. I agree. So when COVID hit, um, I'm curious as to, you know, post-COVID, as you've interviewed more women, um, you know, how has that, how has that affected them? Because I, I look at my own example, right? And, and we have a firm here of, you know, 75 plus people. And, you know, I immediately in COVID went into preservation mode. How are we going to keep all these mm -hmm. people employed? And I'm proud to say we did. And, you know, how do we kind of, you know, get through this? And my wife, who also owns her own business, but it's really she's a sole practitioner and she, mm -hmm. she's in the furniture world. Um, everything for the kids fell yep. to her. And honestly, it's better off that way. I'm not I wouldn't be very good <laughs> as, as the as the teacher. Mm -hmm. um, well, you know, you don't know that you'd be good at <laughs> other things, right? <laughs> or, That's true. Yeah, listen, yeah, yeah. We, mm -hmm. we did. Uh, I did my own version of summer school. You there know, you go. Where we yeah. did, uh, you know. Things like you know, how to build a house kind of stuff uh -huh. using, using models around our neighborhood being built. There you go. Um, but in general, I feel like and I know also from here, from our on, on you know, Ebola, mm -hmm. um, plenty of the other working mothers here, it all fell to them. Yeah. So I'm curious. And then, you know, so what is it like how the interview has been since? Mm -hmm. And then how do you see it kind of coming around and back out of this? Sure. Yeah. Well, caregivers for sure took a hard hit during the pandemic. And that's, you know, men and women alike. You know, I know a, a number of single fathers that also very much felt that. I mean, the less that I think exists a little bit less than things falling to women. But um, I mean, everyone that I've talked to during and since the pandemic has acknowledged it. Um, I think the biggest thing just all around was the uncertainty. Just what does this mean for my life, for work? Where where do we go from here? Um, and, you know, I was talking to Kirsten Ring Murray at Olson Kundig, and she said, we won't really feel the repercussions of the pandemic until a few years out because we're now soaking it all in, you know, and how that will manifest in our behaviors. We don't yet know. Um, but people know that it's had a big impact people know that there is no going going back to normal there is only this you know cumulative normal it's all accumulation of experiences yeah. and i think everyone is just um is really self-aware now and very self-aware of their colleagues and are able to empathize more i mean you know seeing people's homes on zoom and their kids coming up and dogs and in my case you know my mom and brother who i quarantined with um <laughs> i think just opened everyone's eyes to the different ways of living now of different families that exist the different combination of of people that you can be living with um i don't know i, I think we're what, what do i want to say about this i think everyone's eyes are just really open to their not being one way um and that's very healthy yeah and it's it's new territory and and you did get a window into people's lives and i think ultimately for the better Mm -hmm. You know, you humanize. So I think that people here in our own firm, again, using this as an example, you know, they knew some of the some of the working mothers here that left early or, mm -hmm. you know, had certain you know schedules that varied. And we've always been very, very flexible about that. And because I, I, my own life works. So mm -hmm. I, I get I get why why it's important. Um, but I think probably the, you know, the younger generation didn't really understand, you know, why does that person leave at this time? Why mm -hmm. do they why do they work from home on Fridays? Things mm -hmm. like that. And I think we now all realize like we're all in this together. This is just another way of working in another part of life. And I think in yeah. the end, it, it, it's going to it's going to be beneficial to even the office culture mm -hmm. in the office as well as outside of the office. Yeah. yeah. Well, I used to talk about this a lot when I was first coming up in the industry, because, you know, we're the way we had work set up was very, you know, outdated because our the nine to five model, the office model was all based on when there was kind of 
a couple and it was divide and conquer and someone was in charge of the household and someone was in charge of, you know, bringing in resources to that household through <laughs> means of work. Right. Now people are, you know, like in my case, um, you know, uh, I was I lived by myself for a long time. Um, and so, you know, what happens when my super needs to come in and do repairs? Right. I don't have a partner to lean on to take care of that or, you know, uh, just like getting groceries and doing laundry and all this stuff. I mean, yes, you do that on a weekend, but there's just some things around life and like living by yourself and being in charge of your own household and your own work that you have to do. And so I remember thinking like the nine to five thing doesn't work. It does not work for a modern professional in this world because they do not have a guaranteed, you know, someone to rely on to take care of everything else in their lives. And um, yeah, I think I think the pandemic has definitely accelerated that thinking for a lot of people. (laughs) For sure. For sure. So what opportunities do you see for technology in the architecture field? Oh, man, I think you guys are kind of spearheading the charge on this with VR, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, I think VR is going to be really huge. I'm reading this amazing book called Quantum Marketing right now that uh, Kira, who's the director of PR at Olsen Kundig, also recommended to me. Quantum marketing, it's basically saying how we're about to enter a new stage of marketing. You know, first there was kind of the advertising of services, then there was advertising with an emotional connection, then there was the internet and digital advertising, and then there was social media. Uh, and now what is that fifth frontier, if you will? And, um, you know, they're talking about VR, they're talking about social media changing super quickly. And so I think we just really need to be paying attention to all of these things. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think this actually goes back to something maybe architects don't do well is, you know, architect, the um, topic of architecture is what architects study obsessively, you know, the theory behind it, what everyone's doing. I think we need to be just as obsessive with what's going on in the world at large and, you know, developments and, you know, space travel is on everyone's minds now with, you know, Richard Branson's uh, (laughs) flight and Jeff Bezos's upcoming flight and um, pay attention to that. You know, there's going to be architectural and design opportunities within all of that and space exploration. And I mean, I'm thinking like way, you know, many years ahead, but uh, don't be afraid to be futuristic in your thinking in that regard. Absolutely. Even currency and bit Bitcoin and blockchain. Yes. I mean, these are all things that at some point are going to catch up with our industry mm-hmm. uh, and we have to be able to embrace them in, mm-hmm. in, in some way. So um, <clears throat> so bringing it all back around, uh, <laughs> if you had to do it differently as far as your career, uh, what might you have changed? Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm in a good place. So I don't know if I would do anything differently. But what I would tell my younger self, I guess, is um, that insecurity is a waste of time. I think there's so many things that people waffle on or, you know, take time to make some decisions because they're unsure. And at the same time, waffling and that kind of procrastination is good because I think you make sure you get all the information that you need and you really let concepts and ideas soak. Um, And so that's productive. But I think there are some things that if I had just decided earlier or um, hadn't been, you know, timid about certain things uh, could have been more efficient and productive. But again, that being said, I think some of the times where I have taken time to do all my research and gather all the information and talk to talk to experts has been good. So <laughs> I don't know, just, yeah, insecurity is a waste of time. I, I like that. Yeah. All right. That's a that's a great way to end it. So, Julia, thank you so much for for being my guest here. Um, I don't know if you realize the tremendous excitement. There's a lot of people here in the office that were very excited that you were coming here. Oh, you're, really? Yeah, you're you're an inspiration oh, in our gosh. industry. So, um, you know, I, you, you have a lot to be proud of. So and, and I thank you for your time here. So uh, to read, uh, to see and read more about Julia, go to uh, madamearchitect.org. Um, and even though, you know, they're a competitor, um, <laughs> uh, as well. So, uh, again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me.